0: I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I can't back up. And now, hey everyone, and welcome back to heaven and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today I have my brother back on as we talk about the NFL playoffs, the divisional round. So we recap the divisional round. Um, a couple exciting games, a really big surprise. Tennessee Titans moving on, beating the Baltimore Ravens, the number one seed. So that was a really surprising upset and really exciting first half between uh, Patrick Mahomes Chiefs and the Texans, where the Texans go up 24-0 until the Texans take the or the Chiefs take the lead, um 28 to 24 going into halftime and then the Chiefs blow them out of the water. And then we talk about the NFC divisional games as well. Um so me and my brother break down that. We talk about some of the coaching news that is going on. Um around the league some of the new coaches that get hired we talk about lou keekley retiring and then we also break down and preview give our pre give our picks for the nfc and afc championship game so tune into that um and thanks for listening guys as always please subscribe if you have not subscribed yet and uh let's give my brother a call
1: hello hey mike so welcome back onto to the podcast glad to have you back on um honestly not as exciting of a divisional uh round playoffs as the wild card round but there were definitely a couple of really interesting moments slash uh a huge surprise um surprise surprise tennessee titans um so um I don't know where you want to start Mike but um we could go chronologically or we could kind of jump right into that Titans game but what um a crazy surprise by them. Yeah, I mean yeah, we could start off there first um because that was a really really surprising game of the week and there's not much to say but the Titans are pretty legit. I mean Derrick Henry the run that he's on, no pun intended there, 30 carries, 195 yards. It's 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 pretty insane that, you know, like, if Tennessee is able to just get this lead, it's, it's really hard for the team to come back because they just get, like, I don't know, five or six, seven drives and a half. And that's all of your opportunity. Yeah, and what I was really impressed with with this Tennessee team was I thought early on, like – the Ravens' offense just wasn't there. And after that interception where it went off of Mark Andrews' hands and then uh, Kevin Byard, and Byard ends up returning it um pretty decent way and then ke- kind of sets up uh, the tone of this game for Tennessee, mm-hmm. I was just very impressed by how effective Tennessee was in the red zone and how effective Ryan Tannehill looked. Even though he only threw again for under 100 yards, averaging less than 100 yards pa- passing in both the playoff games, um, probably going to get paid well over 20 million a year by this Tennessee team, um, and it's just pretty amazing to me how effective they've looked with their with the the lack of balance in terms of their offensive production. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, for the Titans, I mean, if I if I look at this game and you told me Ryan Tannehill would have 88 yards and throw the ball 14 times, like, I would think that, honestly, the Titans would have gone blown out by the Ravens or something. Right? Yeah, like something by three, four touchdowns blown out. Right. So <laughs> but the thing is, like, him throwing, like, you know, less than 100 yards, like, for the throws that he had to make, like, he made those right throws in the end zone. And that, like, 40, 50 yard, um, you know, touchdown catch to Khalif Raymond, I believe, yep. right on the money, right? So, for Ryan Tannehill, like, he's able to effectively manage the game and do what he has to do for this Titans team to win. I mean, like, there's no point in trying to throw the ball it's on, and get cute if, like, Derrick Henry's averaging six and a half yards, right? Yeah, and it's pretty crazy how well Derrick Henry um, ran the ball against his Ravens uh, defense, which I thought would have been a lot better equipped at stopping the run, pretty much knowing what the game plan would be, especially with how the Titans looked against the Patriots in running the ball. You would just think they would kind of stack the line and that's it. But Hill was able to make enough plays, like, that catch by Jonu Smith in the in the end zone, that first mm-hmm. uh, touchdown, was just unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. bobbling the ball, and then making that catch, I just thought that was like an unreal throw and catch by Tannehill and Jonu Smith. And then like just just in general, like the Ravens turned the ball over three times. Lamar turned it over a couple times, and then. They also turned it over on downs four times, where they weren't able to convert on fourth four fourth, fourth downs and two pretty key fourth and shorts that really changed the complexion of the game. And with that, it just really, I thought, kind of killed a lot of the momentum that the Ravens had, even though they're only down, I believe, 14-6 going into halftime. It just felt like, all right, while the Ravens are still in it, there were just a couple really key plays that really changed the tide for the Titans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know it's it's almost been a while since we talked to, you know, last we're on the podcast, but in my in my gut, this was a game that I kind of wanted to call and call the upset for the Titans. Um, you know, I wrote the Titans against the Patriots and against the Ravens, right, I know early in the season, me and you were both pretty hesitant with Lamar. You know, we hopped on the bandwagon at the very end. But there was always that, like, lingering hesitation that I had with the Ravens team here. Um, And I kind of wish I called this Titans game because the the way the game played out, right, was definitely something that you could have, like, something that I could have imagined where it's just like, wow, they can't stop Derrick Henry. Tennessee has a lead. Cannell is able to make enough throws here, and frankly, like Lamar Jackson, it, like just doesn't look like himself. And this Baltimore team is kind of showing their inexperience and and kind of uh, kind of having another difficult year in the playoffs. Yeah, and Mike, what do you think about that narrative about like if you just kind of glance over the box score, like Lamar throws 365 yards, runs for over 100 yards. Um, on the ground, like, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, you can't fault Lamar for the things that he did during this game. Um, I kind, I'm kind, i kind of disagreeing with a lot of, – some of, like, the pundits that are saying that because I just felt like Lamar didn't make key plays at the most opportune times. Like, the interception by Andrews, like, that's pretty, un, un you know – unfortunate, especially with it kind of going off of the sands. But mm-hmm. he, Lamar threw another another pick that ends up kind of costing them. And then he ends up fumbling the ball that ended up in in like deep into in the Ravens half that costed them as well. Um yep. and I just felt like he didn't make key plays. Like there was that fourth and fourth down play. He got stuffed twice, I believe, um, fourth and short. Um, so there were just key plays that he wasn't able to make at the times that you really needed Lamar to shine. Yeah, sure, it's nice when he's, like, throwing the ball um, into in soft coverage um, when Tennessee was playing in zone coverage, but he they just weren't able to convert during those key times. And I think that's what costed the game. And that's going to be the difference in terms and, – and that's how little the difference is in playoff football in comparison to, I would say, regular season football. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And honestly, like, Lamar has improved so much, so though, as past year. Like, he has 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. So, obviously, we don't think – like, he's still MVP caliber, right? Like, what I've seen from Lamar this whole year has totally changed my perception of him, Um as being, like, one of the top quarterbacks in our league. So, you know, for that reason, I still think he's, like, a top five quarterback, right? But in terms of being, like, do I think he's better than Mahomes Um, or, like, you know, an Aaron Rodgers in, like, playoff game or Russell Wilson, he just hasn't shown that yet. And it's a a tough hurdle to climb, but – yeah, it's uh I I wouldn't bet against him. Like, judging on his character and from what I've seen, Lamar will come back stronger from this. It's it's definitely a tough loss. Like they were ten point favorites against the Titans, so And um, we both I think we both kinda of thought that was a little high, didn't we? Think that was a little high, I think, yeah, from last year. Absolutely. Week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That line was crazy for the Ravens to be like the ten point favorites. But um but, yeah, I mean, Tennessee looked good, proved they were able. Honestly, like, proving a lot of doubters wrong, right? Yeah. No and one – I think you had, like, what were the odds for the Titans to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of this? Oh, man. Like 100 I, to 1. Yeah, I'm going to look that up real quick. Um, but, yeah, it it was just kind of incredible how – The Titans have been able to turn it around. And I I think I was texting you over the weekend while I was watching the game what my feelings were about this Tennessee team and how it draws kind of parallels to the 09 uh, Jets teams like when they made back-to-back AFC championship runs under Rex Ryan where they'd kind of run the ball, really focus on running the ball and then playing good defense. And you know, Mark Sanchez was pat- pretty I good. Thought, yeah, yeah, he had a few good San- years. Sanchez passed the ball a lot more effectively, or for more yards than what Ryan Tannehill was kind of showing. So I I was kind of making those parallels to like the formula that Brabel kind of put together for this Titans team to go pretty far against you know against the favorites. Um, yep. of the AFC. So I I don't know. Like, it's, it's really interesting kind of looking forward what this team's going to do um, in the AFC championship game, and we'll definitely get to that later on in the podcast. But one of the things, like, Derrick Henry ends up having, like, that long run to set up the jump pass that was likened a lot to Tebow. So that was really interesting um, wrinkle as well. So, like, Rabel was bringing out every single type of wrinkle um, mm-hmm. in this Titans offense. And Ryan Tannehill ends up making key third-down plays when he ended up making that third-and-goal run um, for a touchdown to go up 20, I believe, 28-6. to six. Um, That You just kind of thought, all right, this game's pretty much done. And that yeah. was – I think that was set up by a turnover by the Ravens. So there was just a lot of mistakes that the Ravens made as a whole. Um, And you can't place it all on Lamar, but I thought Lamar just wasn't effective in those key areas. And that really costed them the game. And and the red zone efficiency by the Titans was extremely impressive. Like when they got into the red zone, they were able to convert for touchdowns. Totally agree. Totally agree. So it I don't know, it's it just makes a really interesting um um way for like what this says about possible I guess underdogs for the playoffs moving forward and how that maybe changes your perspective. I ended up finding the odds. Oh that's back from twenty fifteen. Um, let's see. I think the odds that I found were, let's see. I'm having a tough time finding it. I think it was like 40 to one though. 40 to one. That, that seems a little bit high, but, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe people had uh, a little bit more higher confidence in the Titans than, uh, than even I did. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting kind of like seeing like how impressive this. uh, Yeah, I think it was like 40 to 1 um, before the season started.
0: Um,
1: But yeah, pretty impressed how how well this Titans team um, has been able to perform with this kind of basic formula. Like it's pretty impressive how well Derrick Henry's been able to run the ball. (laughs) Like how well he's been able to run the ball with a stacked box and with other teams knowing that he's going to run the ball. And it just seems like he's wearing down a lot of these teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, the amount of carries this guy is getting is immense, but he's an immense guy as well. Overall, I mean, Jarek Henry, like we, we, I think we talked about this at the start of the playoffs, but like he was the best running back to be honest in the playoffs for me. Right, and even as the playoffs go on right now, like he is very much the clear best running back in the playoffs right now for me as well, uh, even above Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Like he's looked electric. I mean, I have a couple stats that I'll pull out during the preview, but it's it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do in the second half of this season and mm-hmm. how well he's looked running the ball and that offensive line looked incredibly good, um, helping him support all the things that he does. So, Mike, let's move on to the next game. Um, I thought which was, like, the most exciting first half pretty much ever that I've witnessed um, of a playoff game, Texans versus Chiefs. Like, um, wow, what a game. Like, just what a game. Like, or let me say this, what a first half because 21 to 0 Texans end up jumping out 21 to 0 and then um here come the or 24 to 0 I believe and then here come the Chiefs they end up they end up scoring four touchdowns in the second quarter uh to take the lead 28 to 24 going into halftime and like I'm trying to, can you imagine just like flashing that halftime score um like pretend you're not even watching the game you see mm-hmm. the you see the Texans go up 24-0 and you're just like all right game's over and then you go 28 to 24 you probably think your ESPN app is broken at that point because like there's some type of like glitch going on with yeah. the app but it was incredible at as the pa- the pace that the Chiefs ended up scoring those four touchdowns in the second quarter. And it was really, I mean, honestly, like, as I was watching, re-watching the highlights and watching the game, it was kind of hard to keep track of who was scoring what. Uh, But it was just crazy. Like, Houston ends up scoring on a huge play um, with, um, I believe it was, was it Will Fuller or Kenny Stills that ends up going deep. They score on that play. Then they score on a blocked punt go up 14-0 within the span of five minutes. And then in between all of that during Kansas City's possessions, they looked really tight during that game. They were dropping the ball, dropping passes, yeah. all that yeah. type of stuff. Um, yeah, and it was kind of interesting to see that Kansas City team look like that. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the story for Kansas City in that first quarter. They just looked tight. And there were so many drop balls. I, I remember there's a one play where like Mahomes threw it to Kelsey, and Kelsey just like had it was a perfect pass. Kelsey just flat out like dropped it, and he you could see the frustration on his face. Um,
0: but yeah, it kind kinda, yeah,
1: it was just like it kind of looked like me during a church flag football league where i dropped, like <laughs> an easy pass. Yeah, and but we always knew that like honestly, like I. I can't remember a team more explosive offensively than the Chiefs. Like they are the most explosive team offensively that I've ever seen. Um just in terms of the athleticism, the speed. So they could they could score in bunches at any kind of time and go off. And that's kind of what they did. And you know, we'll we'll talk about like the Texans and some of Bill O'Brien, especially some of his mistakes that kind of allowed the Chiefs to get back into it so quickly in that second quarter. You know, you had the blocked, like the fake punt that didn't really work out. Yeah. And Mike, let me, and in combination with that blocked punt, or not even the blocked punt, it was the failed uh, fake punt conversion. Yep. The fake punt. Yep. Like, and I think maybe this is where you uh, you were probably getting at. mm mm-hmm was very confusing that he wouldn't go for it on fourth and short and ends up kicking that field goal preceding that fake punt attempt. Um it kind of reeked of desperation once he went for that fake punt attempt um as soon as Kansas City scored on that next on that previous possession. So it went Houston ends up scoring, kicking the field goal, but they had like a fourth and probably like a foot or two feet for a first down. Um, they didn't take it. They kicked the field goal. Then Kansas City, uh, Merkel Hardman, who ends up making a huge, dazzling return, uh, I thought changed the complexion of the game. They end up scoring that touchdown. And then I just thought it was like a desperate play by Houston to go for that fake punt. And I guess if the fake punt works, you kind of praise O'Brien. But they're on their own 35 40 yard line and they go for a fake punt i just i just didn't love the play calling and the inconsistency of the play calling from o'brien like if you're gonna be going for it on fourth down why don't you go for it on fourth and short during that um before the field goal attempt yeah it, it was kind of confusing like how aggressive uh O'Brien was at some times and and, and kind of just like very <laughs> no I wouldn't say cautious, but like on the more cautious side, so it's kind of flipping between like being aggressive and being cautious, and it didn't seem to work out for either instance um, but but yeah I mean overall for for Kansas City it just it just kind of showed like they are the most explosive team I've ever seen, and I know we'll get to get to this in the preview, but I, I really like Kansas City right now. I mm. I really like their odds. Really like their odds. It, that's kind of interesting. So we'll get to it in the preview. There's also a couple other things before I move on to the next games,
0: like yep. that
1: I found really interesting um for the Chiefs. It was just like one more thing. I just thought I was just really impressed with how no, well Yeah. Like just singing his praises of how good he looked. Um, And while he's not as mobile as Lamar Jackson, he was just able to break pressure uh, with his legs when, you know, the pocket was collapsing and he didn't have options with his arms, but he was able to be mobile enough to uh, get first downs um, Mm -hmm. with his legs, which I was extremely impressed with. And he's kind of shown that ability um, throughout his career over the past two years. So it's not a surprise, but it's just an added layer for this Kansas City offense. And the hard thing about what the Texans really had to do, and and maybe it was being disguised because some of the drops that happened earlier early in the game and that kind of uh, mitigated some of the defensive play, play calling that they had, But it was just tough to see, like, um, Travis Kelsey um, really dominate them, especially after a slow start. Because what ended up happening was they were going pretty ultra-aggressive and they're going into man coverage. A lot of times, man press coverage really challenging the receivers. And Mm -hmm. they just got burned by Kelsey. And then Tyreek – was getting bottled bottled up early on, but he mm-hmm. was able to get his too a little bit, and I they just weren't good enough pass pass defense wise to hold up. And I'm curious to see like how uh, the Titans defend the Chiefs in terms of like whether or not they're going to be doubling Kelsey or deciding double um, Hill, um, which guys they decided double double. Yeah, I mean the thing is the Chiefs have so many weapons, like even if you take Tyree Kill away, like we saw with McCole Hardman, Travis Cal Kel- like they just have too many weapons.
0: Like yeah, Sammy Watkins. Wa- like
1: Sammy Watkins looks pretty decent too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I I just think that the Chiefs are a little bit too explosive right now for like there's no other team that's that can match their firepower. Um mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, I I totally agree with the sentiment that Mahomes just looked so poised throughout that playoff game. Like, even when it was, like, 21-0, he just, like, you see him on the bench, kind of cool, collected, rallying the troops, and just having that, like, utmost confidence. And I think that was, like, that confidence in himself, right, is something that anyone who is watching that game could see. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't entirely sure that they would be coming back that quickly, but I yeah yeah. Yeah, like, you thought it I was into like into the third or fourth quarter. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be like, all right, maybe like once they scored that first touchdown, I wasn't like, Oh, they're gonna just automatically be coming back. I thought, oh, okay, yeah. maybe this makes it interesting for the third or fourth quarter and then all of a sudden they just scored four touchdowns in the second quarter. So then and then and then in the second half they pretty much poured it on, um and really Houston could, didn't look too effective at all. And like it's not like Deshaun Watson had a terrible game at all. He looked pretty darn good. Um mm-hmm. it's just the defense couldn't hold up against that explosive Kansas City offense. Um to no fault of their own because that KC offense is incredible. Um but yeah, it, it it wasn't really Deshaun's fault. I just thought some of the play calling earlier on by Bill O'Brien, changed the complexion of the game. And even then, I'm not not even sure that would have made a difference, especially with how it turned out. All right. So, Mike, let's go to the NFC. Um, Vikings Niners during the uh, early game on Saturday, first game of the weekend. Um, What were your thoughts on this game? Because I had a couple thoughts. Um, concerning some of the Vikings' play-calling. Interesting. I mean, overall, so I watched the, you know, I was at a barcade in SF watching the game. And honestly, like, even after that first half, it was 10-14, you kind of felt like the 49ers had all the momentum on their side. And it didn't really feel as close as that. Um, For me, at least, like... What was the vibe in, like, the SF Barcade? Was, like, were fans pretty confident or, like, did, it, People yeah. were very... People felt... It, it felt like a pretty confident environment, to be very honest. Um, obviously, like, a lot of ratiness. People got really excited. But nothing from the Vikings. Like, there was no play that I could recall. Like, Alvin Cook, nine carries, 18 yards, Madison... One carry, three yards. Like, her cousins didn't throw any – like, there there wasn't any, like, crazy play throughout the game that people, like, kind of got worried. Like, the 49ers were able to get what they wanted in terms of the running game. Like, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Oster, like, whenever they were running, like, their two-headed monster, like, they always looked fresh. They always got, like, their, you know, three to seven-yard chunks, right? Um, And, yeah, I mean, the 49ers offense was kind of impressive in the fact that Jimmy G really didn't have to do too much. And yet they were able to honestly kind of get whatever they wanted against this Vikings defense that we think is honestly, like, very, very good. Um, And honestly kind of showed some of their maybe wear and tear or, you know, tiredness um, from having such a short rest from their previous playoff game. Yeah, and I I think you kind of touched on what I really wanted to talk about was how does Dalvin Cook only get nine carries? Um, And even if, like, the thing about that is, like, even if he's ineffective with those nine carries, um, that's, like, probably the weakest part of that San Francisco team. Um, Mm -hmm. San Francisco defense. Like, that pass defense is ranked first in the league. It's just – I. I I didn't love the play calling by the Vikings at all honestly. Um you have the probably the most productive running back outside of Derrick Henry um in the playoffs in Dalvin Cook this year and he only gets 9 carries and maybe he was limited by injury. Um but I just felt man, you got to give him a little bit more than that. And maybe and it's not like the game was overblown, um until and that that was only till like I would say the late in the third quarter or yep. midway of the third quarter. Like they still had their opportunities. It was only fourteen ten going into halftime, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to that like bomb by Stephon you know, Kirk to yep. Stephon Diggs. So it's not like they were completely out of it where they really had to abandon the running game. I I just I, I'm a little question, like confused and perplexed as to why they abandoned the run game, like they did. Kirk isn't a guy that you really want throwing the ball um, thirty times to the point where you're you're basically saying like three x of the amount of attempts that running the ball that you're going to be passing. I, I mean, that's not really the the type of offensive play calling that I would love. So, um, I don't know. I, I just wasn't crazy about that. Um, I, was, I was really impressed by Jimmy G. Honestly, he only completed nine, 11 passes and nine, had 19 attempts, but he did what he needed to do, in that, and they really relied on that rushing attack um, that I was really impressed with. Tevin Coleman looked really good. Moster changed it up, um, but they hammered the ball with their run run game Um, and I was really impressed by how good the Niners look and defensively like the Niners having six sacks constant pressure on Kirk Cousins like not letting him breathe Bosa looked insane uh, phenomenal uh, for that team Um, yeah I just thought the turning point seemed to be that Cousins pick in the third quarter Um, and that just changed everything. Um, once the cousins got, got picked off by, um, by Sherman, San Francisco was able to drive it down, ended up scoring touchdown. And then they ended up, uh, you know, being up 24 to 10 and pretty much sealed the game, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I totally agree with you on the play calling. Like Alvin Cook only getting nine carries.
0: Like nine carries.
1: Come on. Yeah. And Madison's like a great backup too. So they could have almost played 49ers game against them. And you're right. Like whenever I saw, whenever I was watching the game, like Kirk cousins, he had that one long throw, two digs, but he really didn't have much time for any of the plays to develop because there was constant pressure. Like, like, That front seven for the 49ers was on top of Kirk Cousins almost immediately for some plays. Like, he literally – he would call the snap and then all – like, he had no time to react, right? Yeah. The play was dead before it even started. There was, like, no chance. And that's why I think you do have to kind of get the run game more involved. Like, that front seven was not tired whatsoever, like, even throughout the game as it went on. So – And we already I, know we – all, we all know that Cousins is a good play-action quarterback, so yep. why not utilize that? And I just thought maybe Stefanski and that offensive um, play calling was maybe trying to outsmart uh, the defense of San Francisco and kind of uh, change it up on them because, you know, San Francisco was possibly anticipating a lot of the running game and then play action pass off of that, I, I just didn't agree with it. And I think that's what costed them this game. And and it's not like they were out of it until the third quarter. So um yep. there were just key moments for them that I thought really could have changed it for their outcome. Yeah, I agree. I mean to be honest, like while I was watching it in SF, uh no one seemed particularly worried and People felt pretty confident in the team, so that was the kind of mood and vibe I got while watching it in uh, SF. And even watching the game, maybe it was the people around me, but I I didn't really feel like it was that close of a game as well. In 27-10. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, Mike, moving on to the last game of the weekend, um, the other NFC game, Seahawks versus Packers. Closest game of the weekend. Uh, 28 to 23. Mm-hmm. Mike, what were your general thoughts about this game? Um, I was just like I was really impressed with Russell Wilson. Honestly, <laughs> during this game, he was basically carrying this Seattle team, and basically has have kind of reconstructed this team around Wilson in comparison to years past where it was built heavily on their defense, and now it's kind of like, hey, Russell, go make a ton of plays. So, Mike, what were your general thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, early part of the game, kind of a little boring. It kind of looked like the Green Bay was just way too talented um, versus the Seahawks. Like, the Seahawks just didn't have enough weapons. And then Russell Wilson, he almost had his, fourth-quarter magic, almost led the team back uh, to victory. But they really, really missed the run game. Like Marshawn Lynch, 12 carries for 26 yards. It was a nice stopgap, but at the same time, um, they really missed Chris Carson or Sean Penny. They just weren't able to – like, once they lost our rushing game, and they carried – like, you would see those two. You had, like, 10, 20, like, carries each – Right. Yeah, close to 30 carries combined basically. Exactly. And that was how they were kind of controlling the game and and winning winning those games in my opinion early on. Obviously Russell Wilson would, you know, have his amazing like fourth quarter heroics, but for me this game kind of just came down to talent. Like Green Bay was just much more talented than the Seahawks and a lot more of their players were healthy. Mhm. Yeah, I totally agree. And Like I think that Seattle was definitely missing their running game. Um, you kind of alluded to Carson and Penny being missing, but they just didn't have that consistent, uh, running game to rely on where they would usually get four to five yards a play. Um, and it would put Russell Wilson in really awkward third and long type of situations that they weren't really accustomed to, to converting. Um, but I was, I mean, they were down 21 to three um, after the first half. Um, and I was like, all right, this game's pretty much done. Um, and then Wilson ends up scoring that first touchdown um, after the half. And then I was like, okay, 21 to 10, like, if things happen, two possessions, like, they aren't down by that much. And then Green Bay scores that long touchdown uh to Mm -hmm. Demonte Adams 28 to 10 and then I'm just like all right this is pretty much over and then Russell Wilson magic ended up happening uh for the rest of the game Mike I I, what were your thoughts on so it seemed like as I was kind of going through my Twitter timeline it seemed like a lot of people were giving Pete Carroll a lot of flack for going for it for not going for it I'll Fourth and eleven with three seventeen left in the fourth quarter. I I don't know. I just felt like he made the right call by punting the ball. Um it was fourth and eleven, three seventeen left in the fourth with three timeouts. Um and they were on like their forty five, their own forty five, or own forty. I don't know. I think I'm still punting the ball like Harold did in that situation, and it kind of worked out for them. Um even though they didn't get the ball back, like they were, they had two opportunities. They were, you know, to make third down stops. They got the Packers into two third and nine third and eight situations. uh, And they just weren't able to make the stops. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to say in retrospect that that was like the wrong call. Um, because the Seahawks never got the ball again, but at the same time, I do kind of agree. Like the Packers weren't exactly humming on offense. Um, yeah, so so for that reason, I I think it's a defensible call by Pete Carroll for sure. Um, because for me, it, I'm not, it really is I'm how much you trust ball, your defense. Dude. Yeah, I'm punting the ball like for the reasons that you listed. Maybe it's because like the Aaron Rodgers effect. Oh, you don't want Rodgers to kind of bleed out the clock. But at the same time, they had three timeouts, 317. Packers offense stagnated. twenty. Like, they hadn't scored since the third quarter. They weren't moving the ball particularly well and threatening at all. Um, And I was just – I was like, okay, if they can get a three and out. And they didn't – and they had a chance to even, like, after – The first one got converted. The first third and nine got converted with Devontae Adams making that crazy catch. Um, Honestly, crazy throw uh, by Rogers to put it right in Devontae Adams' hands. I was like, oh, they still have a shot with the way, you know, Devontae Adams ends up stepping out with, I believe like two 12 left. Um, So they, they end up having two timeouts. So they had, two timeouts and the two minute warning. So they would have still had two minutes if they stopped them um, on those three downs. They weren't able to do it. And Mike, did Jimmy Graham look short there to me? Like to me, he looked completely short on that third down catch um, he was. to basically seal it. Um, yeah. What was that spot? He was, it seemed like he was a yard or half a yard short of that spot. Yeah, he definitely was. I mean, all the replays confirmed it. It, 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 it it's just kind of crazy to me that that home field advantage was able to give them. That was at least like two feet, two feet off. I was like, what kind of spot was that? That was a terrible spot. And it's kind of crazy because, like, with all the frigging camera angles that the NFL has, they aren't able to get uh a clear camera angle to kind of see what um, was the correct spot. So they basically allowed the play to be, to stand as called on the field. And I just thought how ridiculous of a spot that was. And who knows what could have happened. Maybe the Packers end up converting up fourth down, but it just seemed like they were, it seemed short on uh, like in real time. Um, And maybe because Jimmy Graham slid uh, past the first down marker slash line, that ended up happening. And maybe, I don't know, I I don't feel like I'm biased at all, but I just had to run it by you to see if he was short or not. Yeah, I mean, there were so many replays on Twitter and all this photo evidence that, you know, it's really hard to get perfect in real time but you're right the spot was pretty bad i i mean it's not the first time nfl officiating has been you know not perfect it, it won't be the last time for this particular play like even if it is you know uh, even if it is like a a, a bad spot um i mean w- w- what what could we like as what, what what can even – what can we even do? I mean, like, it's really tough to say, to be honest. Like, it wasn't conclusive. There wasn't, no, no, like, def- extremely clear angle. No, it definitely wasn't conclusive, but it just makes it feel like, oh, man, like this, the Seahawks got screwed out of, like, a spot um, to have Russell Wilson – have a chance to drive his team down to make, you know, a play um, driving down with two minutes left in the fourth right. quarter. So I, I think we were robbed of that a little bit to kind of have that end it type of ending, but, you know, kudos mm-hmm. to like the Packers for converting on key third down plays. I think they were nine for 14 on third downs. Um, and I was like, those are the key plays that they were able to make in key situations. Um, and it was evidenced by those two key third down plays on that last drive. Yeah, agreed. So, I mean, overall, at the end of the day, like the Seahawks being in the NFC championship just never felt right. They just they had too many injuries and just don't have the talent this year. But because Metcalf, they really hit with him. Russell Wilson is still able to play at an MVP level. I. I think that the Seahawks have some future opportunities left, um, but this year they just didn't have the talent. Totally agree. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think they didn't have the talent. They had key injuries to their running backs. They need to improve, I would say, maybe um, their defense, their defense um, especially with what that used to be. They really need to make that a strength again or real you know significantly improve it. Mm-hmm. Um so I I mean there's just a couple things that they need to work on to k- kind of help Russell Wilson be supported um as he makes plays in the fourth quarter like defense kind of let them down allowing key third down plays to happen against the Packers. So Mike yep. as we move on to championship weekend um with the Titans and the Chiefs, and then the Packers and the Niners. Before we get into that, actually, I kind of wanted to talk about a couple of different things that are going around in the news, Mike. Um, So we'll kind of travel around in the NFL, talk about different things, coaching hires especially, um, and I would say a shock retirement, and that's kind of becoming a little bit more common nowadays. So my Luke Keekly ends up retiring at the age of 28, um, which is let let me just let the listeners know that I am also 28 years old. And for Luke Keekly to be retiring at 28, um, <laughs> kudos to him for retiring at 28, because I'm basically just getting started with my career Um, so, um, basically his career is over before mine even started at the age of 28, which is hilarious to think about. Um, but Eakley ends up playing eight seasons when defensive player player or rookie of the year He ends up becoming a pro Bowler seven times out of eight seasons, ends up becoming all pro five times, probably one of the best middle linebackers inside linebackers ever to play the game Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are talking about him being a hall of fame type of player um, being one of the smartest slash rangiest middle linebackers that ended up making plays on the ball intercepting the ball a bunch as well Um, mike anything that you wanted to add about lou keekley yeah i mean he was for for the past five years, probably the best middle linebacker. He, he was the best middle linebacker in the position. Um, anytime you wanted to play the Panthers, you kind of knew that Luke keekley would have at least like – he would have at least like eight tackles, right? He was just everywhere in the game. And I think, you know, the reaction to his retirement, it definitely came out of nowhere. Um I really did not expect that at all. And, yeah, when you put it in perspective like that, him being only 28, um, and, you know, that is your age. It's kind of (laughs) crazy. Oh, boy. Yeah. That is kind of crazy to me. And I wonder if this is, like, a trend for things to come, that more NFL players kind of understand the health risks Um, playing in the NFL long-term and it kind of are like, look, like I could, you know, work my ass off for this, I don't know, four to $5 million contract, or I could keep uh, the rest of my health and kind of go off and do whatever I want with the $20 million contract I earned um, after my rookie deal. And I think, I mean, I don't quite put this as shocking as, Andrew Luck because Luck was 29 prime of his career at a position that isn't it's a much more aggressive position right there isn't as much wear and tear maybe on the quarterback as there used to be Um, but there's just like a lot more yeah physical contact in the middle of the field at linebacker and you kind of see it with like a lot of middle linebackers and i was kind of i think i was listening to a a ringer podcast talk about some of the middle linebackers that got retired and it jogged my memory like um patrick willis ended up retiring fairly early on i believe he was 30 navarro bowman ends up retiring um early on who was like one of the better middle linebackers chris borland also ended up retiring after one year all San Francisco guys, I believe, um, ending up retiring um, fairly early on in their Mm -hmm. careers. Um, And maybe that has to do with some combination, especially with Keekly, Bowman, and um, Patrick Willis, especially those three, because those three ended up getting paid a lot of money before they retired. That, like the point you made in terms of, Hey, I made enough money playing the game that I loved. There's not much else that I really want to do. I've made my money. I want to get out healthy, uh, with my mind intact. So it makes sense. It's just kind of a shame to see guys go out pretty much at the prime or at the height or peak of their powers. Um, in terms of the NFL positionally. And there's a lot of like stories going around about Lou um being kind of like a crazy football dude, basically not having cable for four years um, early on in the league. Um, so he could watch films, films and do film study and not get distracted getting, you know, doing all these different things um, to, to kind of show his intellect with Um, uh, or on the football field and to help support that. So um, kudos to Lou Kuechly for retiring at the age of 28 and uh, good luck to him for the rest of his life and future endeavors. Um, So Mike, also talking about the coaching hires um, around the league. So Kevin Stefanski ends up getting hired by the Browns. Um, a lot of people were kind of questioning the hire, especially after or on the back mm-hmm. of that Vikings play calling debacle. Um, a lot of people were like, is this the right coach for someone to work with, with uh, um, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and that offense, OBJ, Jarvis Landry. Is he going to be able to spread it around enough? Um, May I kind of believe that Stefanski was a little hampered by maybe Mike Zimmer and the mandate that Zimmer had for him to run the ball a lot more throughout the season, even though they had Dalvin Cook. um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what type of stamp he puts on this offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing with the Vikings offense is the variability for me at times. Like, at times, like – you you realize the potential of the Vikings offense. Kirk Cousins was clicking, Dalvin Cook looked like the best running back in the league. And those were times when you're like, damn, like Stefanski was doing like, a fantastic job. But then there are other times, like what we saw against, obviously it's a 49ers defense, which I think is the best defense. The best defense in the, the league. league, yeah. Yeah, best in the league. So, I mean, you have to weigh that accordingly. But at the same time, there have been instances where the offense – uh, I won't count the Forty ers game against them, but has looked a little bit stalled and just didn't play up to its potential. Uh, more around like the play calling, to be very honest. So <clears throat> that would be my worry for Kevin Stefanski on the Cleveland Browns. But in terms of in terms of an overall good hire, I'll, I'll give this one a thumbs up because anything better, anything is kind of better than Freddie Kitchens and, and Hugh Jackson.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: sounds good. So Mike, let's move on to Matt Rule. Uh he ends up getting hired by the Panthers uh from uh the Baylor Bears. Uh he's kind of successfully turned around two college programs. I believe he worked with um yep. Temple and um Baylor. Baylor. Um so and Baylor kind of came out from the ashes. Sure. Um especially with all that um sexual misconduct uh type of stuff that was going on in their um program and then to go from like one in eleven or one in twelve to the season that they had this year um to be in the thick of the playoff race. Um it was really really cool to see that turnaround and then uh Rule get rewarded by it and we I mean the Jets had an opportunity to hire him last year. He didn't end end up getting the job because because of Adam Gase. Um, yeah. I hear your groans there. Um, but Rule gets hired by the Panthers. And then he also hires Joe Brady, who led that prolific LSU offense um, with Joe Burrow. Um, and that really, really good LSU offense that ended up winning the national championship on Monday or this past Monday. So I'm like, what were your thoughts? thoughts on the rule hiring he ends up getting seven years for 60 million dollars and then joe brady getting hired as an offensive coordinator yeah it's a really young crew i mean um rule 44 joe brady i believe he's like 30 right he might be in this one like it's a really young crew david tupper big hedge fund finance guy um i think he's like the you know richest owner in the entire nfl like he wants to make a splash he wants his team to be known for like innovative thinking um and i think that rule is honestly a, a pretty good hire um i just from like what you hear in the media where all of his teams are buying into his philosophy um it it, it just seems like he he kind of he just knows what he's doing he's on the forefront of the like forefront in the NFL and i'm really excited to see what he Brings from the college to the NFL. We know that those transitions don't always work perfectly. Um, so I'm 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 curious to see what rule does. Seven years though is a lot of time. So it's <laughs> if it doesn't work out, that's a that's a big a big contract to take on. But Tepper has the wallet to do it. So, overall for the Panthers, I think it's a good hire. We'll have to see what kind of changes happen on that Panthers team because, you know, with Keekly gone, Newton, you know. Rumored to be traded. Rumored um, to be traded. yeah, in March. So, that's another quarterback that's possibly moving destinations. So I'm curious to see, like, how that offense is going to function, especially with Brady. He pretty much spread it out in college um, with mm-hmm. Burrow. He went pretty much, like, five wide, um, especially with that ta- the amount of talent uh, LSU had at wide receiver. And then they maybe yep. even went four wide with uh, Thaddeus Moss um, in the slot, who was, like, kind of like this tight, pseudo tight end slash um, – spot wide receiver. I, I'm i curious to see how that offense ends up functioning um, because if you look at this Carolina team, it's pretty centered around Christian McCaffrey, um, especially with Newton going to be gone. So I wonder if he acquiesces to some of the talent there, or if he kind of brings some of the concepts uh, that he brought from his time with the Saints and Sean Payton and then his time with LSUs. Um, yep. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that transition plays out from college to the NFL for both of those um, guys in Rule and Brady. Like McCarthy's getting hired. He pretty much got hired probably, like, as soon as I posted the podcast last week. Um, we kind of mentioned how Lewis and uh, McCarthy both got interviewed, and then McCarthy got hired the next day um, on the Tuesday um, after I – I posted the pod. Mike, what are your thoughts on McCarthy being hired by the Cowboys? Pretty safe move in my eyes. I agree. So, yeah, Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones. Like, Jerry Jones wants to win now. He thinks he has the talent to win now. And there aren't that many coaches out there who have the pedigree. Um, And I won a Super Bowl ring. And that's ultimately what Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys think they can get. So they're not really trying to do something too risky here by hiring Matt Rule, for example. Um, It seems like they want to have a steady hand here, and Mike McCarthy is that steady hand. I mean, Marvin Lewis would have been a really, really bad – like that would have been a pretty big thumbs down for me. And the reason I say that is, you know, you would hear – stories coming out that he wanted to hire Hugh Jackson as one of these coaches. So for that reason alone, um, I'd be out on that. So Mike McCarthy, Oh, it's, I'm not sure what else they could have gotten to be very honest, right. For like what, what they want in their there. Yeah, exactly. For their position, like Ron Rivera would have been an interesting one. Um, for them as well. But I mean Mike McCarthy fits the bill in kind of his he, he's the right fit for what the Dallas Cowboys want, in my opinion. Yeah, and they also talked about today that Kellen Moore would retain uh his offensive play calling duties. So that'll be really interesting um uh, to see that dynamic because McCarthy's an offensive guy that ended up calling the plays in green Bay for the majority of his time there. So I wonder what that dynamic's going to be like, um, more. It's a bit like, worrying. Yeah. No, it's yeah. definitely a bit worrying to be honest. Yeah. I mean, Kellen Moore had a really productive first year as a play caller. Like they had like ended up being rated first in offense. Um, I believe sixth in passing yards. So they, they looked fairly good, um, and decent, um, with the offensive production Zeke had over a thousand yards. They had two two one thousand two 1000 yard receivers um, in Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So like they have a lot of the pieces offensively it's for me, what's going to happen defensively for them um, looking into next year and how that team's going to improve. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The defense has to play up to its talent level. Um, which it which you anonymously just did not. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see on that. That is like the big question mark for me for Dallas as well. Yep. Mike, Joe Judge, lastly getting hired by the Giants. Uh, did we talk about this last week? I can't remember if we did. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure if we did, but we can make it quick. Um, but it was like, we were both kind of like, who is that? Um, but yeah. Did, yeah. Do not, <laughs> do not really know who, uh, Joe Judge was, he wasn't really like the name that I thought the Giants would go after for this, but he's going to have a lot of spotlight on him now with that New York media. And I mean, from everything you hear about the guy, it all sounds very, very positive, but I'm, I'm just, there's not much to go off of. Like, I'm just, there's, there's just not much to go off of and judge. Um, no there either. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm going to be open-minded for this pick, and I, I just can't give it a thumbs-up or thumbs-down at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, yeah, I mean, Patriots assistants haven't fared well in head coaching positions. Grable's um, mm-hmm. pretty much been, like, the only one that's, probably been a highlight, and even before this season, he would have been, like, um, eh, kind of hire. So, other hires um, across the league um, that were former Patriots assistants haven't fared as well. So, we'll, we'll kind of see and monitor what ends up happening there. Lastly, mm-hmm. before we get into our previews, Mike, Odell Beckham ends up getting a warrant for his arrest because he ended up slapping the buttocks or the butt of um, a police officer in the ro- locker room post game uh, during the national championship game, uh, college national championship game um, between his alma mater LSU and Clemson. Mike, any thoughts on that before we get into our previews? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a story cause it's OBJ and like just a headline arrest warrant OBJ obviously draws a lot of eyeballs to it, but, um, I'm going to file this as like a very kind of a minor thing, to be honest, when I started reading about what it was for, it just didn't seem like that big of a deal. So I think the far more interesting thing is the money that he was passing out to LSU players. Um, I don't know if you heard about that, but he was passing out money. Confirmed by Burrow, to be real, yeah. Yep. Uh, Passing out money to LSU players, possible NCAA um, infraction for LSU. It'll be interesting to kind of monitor that um, and how that plays out as well. The NCAA was trying to say that the money was fake. Like, why would OBJ bring fake money? Like, that would be... It's kind of funny, like, hey, OBJ has Monopoly money that he's just going to pass around because, like, he wants to. That just sounds more far-fetched than him passing out real money. Right, exactly. So, yeah, OBJ, obviously excited with the LSU win um, for his alma mater, but uh, just just in the headlines for... Weird reasons. Yeah, weird reasons. And, um, yeah... um, it looks like Joe Burrow's going number one in Cincinnati. Um, and if he doesn't, it'll be pretty much a shock to, I think, a lot of people, especially with him being like a local uh, Ohio guy um, and possibly coming back home to Cincinnati. So that would be kind of cool um, to he see that Yep, he definitely has probably the, one of the best college seasons ever um, and most prolific. So good on you, Joe Burrow. Um, see you on Sundays next year as we talk about that. So, Mike, let's get into our previews um, for championship weekend. Conference championship games end up happening this weekend. Um, we A lot of people have Monday off for MLK Day, so get to sit in, watch, enjoy football on Sunday. Three o'clock game, Mike, we got the Titans versus the Chiefs. Really interesting game, clear underdog. The Chiefs are seven and a half, seven and a half point home favorites against the Titans, Mike. Um what is your prediction for this game? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs here. It's it's not a surprising pick, but that game like I just can't imagine the Chiefs um getting anything less than 20 points here, 20 to 30 points. And they're, for me, like, Tannehill is going to have to throw. Yeah. And I, I, I just don't heard. think – I don't think that they are the firepower to keep up with the Chiefs whatsoever, like nowhere close. Like, the game plan for Tennessee has to be, like, we need Derrick Henry to run the ball like we need another 200 yard game, like maybe like 40 carries. Yeah, seriously. I honestly some ridiculous. I was thinking 35 carries, like and 200 yards for him to kind of win. Right, and yeah, I I mean, I'm pretty sure the Chiefs will put up at least like I I think at least 25 points here, so. Ken Tannehill and Derrick Henry, like if Derrick Henry just has one of his like beast mode, like beast mode runs where he gets like breaks off for like 70 yard touchdown. Tannehill is able to make, continue making the right plays because he's played extremely well. Um Yeah. Then I think that the Titans, that's like their kind of Avenue to victory. And to be fair, the Titans did beat the chiefs earlier in the season and the Chiefs run defense still has not looked any good. No. Has not looked any good. So and they're, that missing, would, they're missing Chris Jones, who's like a key player exactly. for them on the inside. Right, so that would be that would be the avenue to victory. Like they're able to control the ball, All right? Derek Henry just has one of his monster games. Um but I I just don't see it. I don't see it because I think the Chiefs are just too explosive. Like if the Chiefs go up 14 to zero against the Titans,
0: it's over I just, pretty
1: much, right? I, I I think it's over. I think it's over. Like the Titans are going to be forced to do things that they don't want to do, give the ball back to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are just going to keep like keep it rolling. That's that's kind of my prediction for how this game plays out. I think that the Chiefs. I I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that close of a game. Yeah, I'm. I'm there with you, honestly. Like, I don't think this is gonna be that close of a game, um, and I think the Chiefs, and and maybe it'll be pseudo close, like possible backdoor cover by the Titans late in the game, or like they're they end up losing by ten points, but they were probably down like twenty or you know seven, seventeen, uh, and, and before they got it down to ten to end the game. I just yep. don't think the game's gonna be that close. Um just to be you know, just to kinda throw out you know, be devil's advocate and play devil's advocate. Um in the past eight games, Derrick Henry's basically run for thirteen hundred yards and eleven touchdowns in the past crazy. eight games. Which is insane. Um he's it's it's just crazy. He's averaged over like six yards a carry basically. Um, which is Mind-blowing to me. Um, and that offensive line for Tennessee is – that's yeah. that's the key to this game, how that offensive line controls the, the defensive uh, front seven of the Chiefs and whether or not Chris Jones ends up playing to kind of help mitigate some of the advantage that the Tennessee Titans have um, running the ball because that is definitely a problem for this Chiefs team. And – We've, we've seen in the past two games with Baltimore and New England um, loading up the box, they were still getting four to five, six yards a pop um, with Derrick Henry running the ball. So I'm curious to see whether or not they're able to still load the box eight, nine guys and then go man coverage on the outside um, to help to basically make Tannehill throw the ball and dare him to throw. I wonder if that's going to be the game plan for um, the Chiefs and trying to stop the run. Um, And I think that's going to be the key matchup as to whether or not Derrick Henry ends up wearing down this Chiefs team. Because we've seen late in games, Henry's kind of gotten, Mm -hmm. you know, he gets up to 15, 20, 25 carries. And once he gets those weight carries, the defense is worn out and doesn't really want to tackle that behemoth of a dude that's like no. 6'2", 235, and makes Mark Ingram look small in all those meets. So He, he makes every running back look small. No, like I was, of course. Like, he's 256-3. Yeah. That's ridiculous. De- Deion Lewis, uh, have you seen those? Yep, Deion Lewis, 5'6". Yeah. Six, three. I thought yeah. I thought like Leonard Fournette was big, and then I looked at it. He's like Leonard Fournette's like six foot two fifteen, two twenty. Like <laughs> Derek Henry has like thirty pounds on the guy and three inches. It's pretty crazy to kind of like see how imposing of a guy uh, he is. So it'll be interesting to see like what what Andy Reid does defensively against this team, and then off Andy Reid yeah. one and eight against the Titans. Yep. saw all that. Not a great stat for our, for our pick. Um, and then also whether or not like red zone efficiency is always going to be really important for the Titans, because if they go in um, control the ball, go on the seven, eight minute drive, say seven minute, eight minute long drives and then settle for field goals. And then the chiefs end up scoring touchdowns in about two minutes with two passes to, like, Kelsey and then Tyreek Hill, the game's pretty much over at that point. So they're really going to have to convert um, in the red zone and be efficient with their time in the red zone. And I just don't really know how you defend this KC offense. That's, like, that's going to be really tough for the Titans. Yeah, I don't know how they defend it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really it. Like, we feel confident that the Chiefs will put up points and I honestly, like, I honestly feel great about Derrick Henry's odds against that Chiefs' front defense. I just don't know if 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 that'll be enough to get you, like, 21 points, right, or, like, the 28 points that you're going to need against the Chiefs. Totally agree. Um, yeah, a couple other stats uh, to kind of go along with that. The rush yards that were allowed by Casey put them in the bottom 10 of the league. They're ranked 26 in rush defense, giving up 128 yards per game. Um, so it kind of goes along with that theme of that being their weak spot and um, Derrick Henry fully taking advantage of that. So if anyone's playing Daily Fantasy this weekend, pretty much have Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is pretty much a must on your team um, if he's one of, like playing one of the running back positions. So he's one of the musts. Um, <laughs> And then also to kind of go along with that, like, um, funny little story that ends up coming out um, that's kind of been going around Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this story, and I might have sent it to you. But Mike Rabel, before the playoffs started, basically said if it ensured him that he would win a Super Bowl as a coach he would basically become a eunuch and chop off his dick. So, like, they have that going for them as well. So just all kinds of craziness surrounding this Titans team. Brable, uh, who's their head coach, is saying crazy things, um, which is like an inter- interesting slash insane parlor game. Like, would you forgo <laughs> having your dick, um, you know, for a Super Bowl championship. I say that's a little crazy, but, you know, I'm not Mike Vrabel. No, that's insane. That's insane. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> yeah. he, he probably would want to take that back. Like, I don't, I bet you, like, don't actually presented that option to him. He would not do it. He would not do it. Yeah, I don't think he was saying that seriously. It was just all in jest, but just a little yeah. fun wrinkle to kind of add. Uh, to championship week uh, maybe kind of draws out some of the craziness uh, that we've come to expect from these Tennessee Titans um, in the playoffs thus far. So we both have the Chiefs, Mike, going into the NFC championship game, Packers visiting the Niners. Niners are actually seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, Mike, big matchup here. 49ers dominated their first matchup in Week 12. I believe they ended up winning 38 to seven against this same Packers team. Um, so you can kind of see why the line is so high at seven and a half, um, which kind of surprised me as to how high the the line is. Does, does this line surprise you um, that it's at seven and a half? Um and do you expect a repeat of the thirty eight to seven um game that we saw in week twelve? So I expect the same results, but I don't expect uh the just just the magnitude of that same result. Like I, I actually do think it'll be a closer game. I think the seven and a half is really high. Uh I could see this game being more like a fourteen se like more like a seventeen twenty type of game. Um, for the 49ers, but I I just don't know if the Packers are able, are going to, like, for me, the 49ers front seven really just destroyed the Packers. Like, Aaron Rodgers had no, no time to throw the ball, um, and the defense just really stifled them. And I think that kind of just plays out again, right? I think the defense and the run game just lead them to victory here. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You kind of mentioned uh, the lack of protection for Aaron Rodgers um, during that Week 12 game. He ended up getting sacked five times, I believe, in that game. Um, And I think you can kind of expect more of that, a lot of pressure. I'm curious to see how Green Bay combats that, whether or not they get the ball out of Rodgers' hands a little bit faster or they kind of run the ball a little bit more with Aaron Jones' and jamal williams who they, who've proven that this is a lot more of a well-balanced offense in comparison to years past where it was pretty much on aaron Rodgers' shoulders um and they haven't had as effective of a pass offense in terms of finding that second option behind Devonte adams um and i think that's going to be the key to this game whether or not offensively green Bay is going to be able to establish a run um against this if you could say a weak spot in this San Francisco 49ers defense is probably the run game but even then they're they're pretty stout they held Dalvin Cook to 18 yards on nine attempts last week um and whether or not they're able to like find that second wide receiver option is it going to be Jimmy Graham is it going to be Alan Lazard is it going to be Aaron Jones out of the backfield what are they going to find as their second receiving option um I I I don't know I I'm kind of curious to see uh what the game plan is there right no I kind of agree I think they do have to establish the run and they can't have a game where like it's up to Aaron Rodgers because that pass rush is just too much for that offensive line over time. In my opinion, like it gonna gets to Rodgers. So they have to have like that balance attack and that is kind of the path to victory where I do think that it won't be Aaron Rodgers, like throwing like five touchdowns against the 49ers. It'll be more like Aaron Jones, 18 carries for, let's say like 90 yards or something. And a, right. a touchdown or two. And a yeah. touchdown or two. Um and the Packers just kind of kind of rolling with that as their game plan and being able to have a balanced attack and winning a close game, in my opinion. Yeah, I so you have you have the forty ers just to or do you have the Packers? No, I have the forty ers I, I think the Forty ers will win the game, um, just because of defense and because I I just don't think that the Packers run defense will be able to stop the two headed monster of Kevin Coleman or Hemo Sarah. And honestly, Matt burrito might have himself a day. Yeah. I, I mean that green Bay packer or rush defense has kind of been middle of the road. I think they rank 16th in the league right now and uh rush yards given up. So that's, that's a pretty big concern against the best rushing team in the league or a second best rushing team in the league with the, uh, Moster and Tevin Coleman, and they've proven to run the ball extremely effectively, especially against a Minnesota team that I wouldn't say was bad against the run. Um, So that's definitely a worry there um, in terms of whether or not Green Bay is able to do that. I'm curious to see how Jimmy G plays um, in this game. Um, And the reason why I say that is because Jimmy G, I think a lot of people have been underrating the pass offense for the San Francisco Forty ers He threw for twenty seven touchdowns this year. Uh, I think, which was fifth in the yeah, league. Yeah, for sure. So he he's been able to perform decently well um, passing the ball, um, and it's I, I think a lot of people are kind of underrating him because they look at the the historical matchup between someone like Aaron Rodgers who is considered one of the best all-time and Jimmy G who's getting his second playoff start. So, I think there is like that huge disparity there, but the amount of talent that Jimmy G has around him is I would say I I'm, I would say far better uh than what Rodgers has um in terms of as a combined whole, offensively and defensively. Um, however, I am still going Packers. I chose the Packers, I believe, to make it to the Super Bowl uh, before the playoffs ended up starting up. And this was my NFC Championship matchup, not the 49ers and Saints. So I'm still going Packers here. It doesn't really make sense. It's more just a play of or I, Aaron Rodgers is going to take me to promised land. But after doing some digging, I don't love a lot of the the stats and what they revealed about the Packers um, against the 49ers because a lot of the things that the 49ers are really good at, i.e. running the ball, Packers have some trouble stopping. And I'm cur- I, I think the Packers are going to have to take a couple of different risks Um, special teams wise. Um, And I think that's going to have to help propel them and get a couple key uh, interceptions or turnovers from Jimmy G to kind of swing this game. But that's kind of where maybe they take, take advantage of some of the inexperience uh, with the Smith brothers, with Preston Smith, uh, their Darius Smith, uh, giving him pressure up the middle. Um, I'm, I think that's probably the game plan that the Packers are going to probably be dealing with and forcing Jimmy G to kind of um, throw the ball. Probably double George Kittle, and yep. then you're going to go one-on-one, uh, Samuel and uh, Bourne on the outside and then pretty much pack uh, the middle of the field so, so they're able to stop the run, and hopefully that they're able to do that. And if they are, then I think they will win a really tight one. Um, I think this will be a really close game, regardless of whoever wins. Um, it's not going to be a repeat of that thirty-eight to seven victory in Week Twelve. So I'm, I, I think I'm kind of going Packers here. Uh, so that that'll be our differential for this year, sure. and it'll be really interesting. And, and I, I, yeah, go ahead. I I think with the Packers, like you. They just have to come out hot. First quarter, they have to go up. Make the 49ers get out of their comfort zone and feel just feel uncomfortable. right? The 49ers have not been to the NFC Championship. A lot of new talent there. And you just want them to feel out of their element, even if they're at home, feel uncomfortable, kind of lose confidence, kind of what happened with the Ravens. So I think that, yeah, you get a jump on them. They start questioning. They're like, hey, this isn't – how the game should be going, Um, you force Jimmy G to, you know, have to put up some throws and make some plays and just get them out of their element. So I think the Packers just really try and be aggressive at the the start of this game if they, you know, want to win this. Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers defense, especially their pass defense, is ranked number one in the league. So that's a bit of a concern, kind of going against some of the um statistics that I was like, Oh wow, that's like gonna be great for the Packers but I think they kinda have to be like this cautiously um I, I don't know, kinda be cautiously aggressive with some of their game plan or game game planning and play calling and that yeah. they I think really have to give the ball to Aaron Jones a lot more um to establish um that run game so that Rodgers is going to have a little bit more time um on the play fakes and the the pass rush doesn't have the opportunity to pin their pin their ears back and just go after Rodgers so i think that's going to be pretty much the game plan but i'm going packers here mike you're going 49ers it looks like you're on the 49ers bandwagon uh being a i don't know a a two year uh, resident of SF now. Um, it looks like you're becoming a resident uh, San Francisco, uh, San Franciscan, I believe that's how you say it, um, mm-hmm. and rooting for the local team there. Hopefully, they don't take your heart over uh, our Jets, Mike, uh, by making a Super Bowl run. So, Mike, um, thanks for coming on again uh, to talk football. We only got a couple more of these, actually. We got next week. Uh, probably talking about and recapping these conference championship games and then we'll do one podcast a week before the Super Bowl uh to exclusively preview the Super Bowl. So two a little bit shorter podcasts there, uh talking about different things. So Mike, thanks again for coming on to the pod. Um as always
0: message and i hope it makes you smile don't worry about me baby cause i swear that i'll be fine i got a girl with a mind on love the kind of love that is dangerous it knocks me down but i can't back up and now i'm addicted i can't get enough